Colin Kaepernick cashes in on wokeness once again. Crime surges as Democrats focus on blaming everybody else. And Don Lemon explains that Black Lives Matter doesn't include all black lives. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your data from prying eyes at expressvpn.com. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you that if you have not actually gone to Apple Podcasts and and left us a review, we would really, really appreciate it. We are almost at 100,000 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you're going to leave us a review and it's only three stars, then just forget about it and go about your day. But if you're going to leave us a five-star review, you've been meaning to do it for months, but you just haven't had the time, make today that magical day. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts, head over to their app, and leave us a five-star review to help us push past that 100,000 mark. Okay, so... This is an amazing country. It truly is. It's an incredible, incredible country. It's an incredible country because basically you can never underestimate the power of the American people to make somebody extraordinarily wealthy. If you are, let's say, a mediocre quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, you know, somebody who didn't kneel for the anthem and who took the the Niners to the Super Bowl is, you know, good for one season, basically. And then you started to fall apart because people sort of figured out your bag of tricks. They sort of figured you out as a quarterback. And soon you found yourself backing up the immortal Blaine Gabbard in San Francisco. And you were on bench and you started thinking about things. And soon you were kneeling for the national anthem while maintaining at the same time, you were not protesting the American flag or America more deeply. You were really just protesting police brutality, right? It was just police brutality. That's all it was about. It was about police brutality. And it turns out that that was not the most popular thing to do because people don't like when people kneel for the national anthem or kneel for the American flag. And also people didn't quite believe you when you said it was all about police brutality. After all, you were wearing like Marxist t-shirts and you had socks with pictures of cops as pigs on them. And overall, he just didn't seem like that great a dude. The good news is that in America, this racist hellscape, this evil racist hellscape of America, you can make millions of dollars by calling America an evil racist hellscape. It is the easiest way. It is so, so simple in today's day and age. You can be Robin DiAngelo and write an awful crap book about how all of America, except for you, is filled with white people are deeply white supremacists, but you've internalized your own white supremacy. And so you can now lecture all of us. You can be made a millionaire on the back of diversity classes. You can be Sarai Rao and you can give lessons to woke white ladies about how America is evil and they are evil. And you can charge them thousands of dollars for the privilege. And you can be Colin Kaepernick. Everyone, young, young kids, you could grow up to be Colin Kaepernick. Not to be like quarterback Colin Kaepernick because he's not playing. And not to be like an astronaut You can't grow up to be like a soldier or the president of the United States. What you can be, everyone can be this. You can grow up to be somebody who makes millions of dollars off calling America a terrible, horrible, evil country. You can do it. Dream the dream. Dream it together. You too can be like Colin Kaepernick. I need to show you this. The last two tweets from Colin Kaepernick on his Twitter account. So there are two tweets. These are back to back on Colin Kaepernick's Twitter account. Tweet number one comes out July 4th, 2020. Quote, black people have been dehumanized, brutalized, criminalized, and terrorized by America for centuries and are expected to join your commemoration of independence while you enslaved our ancestors. We reject your celebration of white supremacy and look forward to liberation for all. Okay, now, let's be quite frank about this. Colin Kaepernick does not seem particularly victimized in the United States. He seems like he's pretty much enjoying the fruits of freedom. How do I know he's enjoying the fruits of freedom and liberation? Because the very next tweet on his account, quote, I am excited for this partnership with Disney across all of its platforms to elevate black and brown directors, creators, storytellers, and producers. I look forward to sharing culturally impactful and inspiring projects. So what exactly is happening? Well, capitalism always wins, gang. And as soon as you can make a buck off wokeness, you'll make a buck off wokeness because bucks are all that matters. According to ESPN.com, Colin Kaepernick will be featured 
in an exclusive docuseries produced by ESPN Films as part of its first look deal with the Walt Disney Company. The deal between Kaepernick's production arm, Raw Vision Media, and Disney was announced on Monday. The partnership will focus on telling scripted and unscripted stories that explore race, social injustice, and the quest for equity. It will also provide a platform to showcase the work of minority directors and producers. I am excited to announce this historic partnership with Disney, said Kaepernick. Despite being exiled from the NFL since the 2016 season, when he took a knee during the national anthem to protest police brutality and racial inequality, Kaepernick still wants to play. No, he doesn't. Kaepernick has no intention of ever getting on the field again. Lies, lies, lies. That is just not true. Kaepernick had the opportunity to try out for teams last year. He completely and purposefully botched it. It was perfectly obvious that that's what he was doing. He has no intention of ever getting back on the field because now he's a civil rights leader because he's a man who has suffered deeply from his race in this country by becoming extraordinarily rich and powerful off the back of calling America a racist hellscape. He has no intention of playing in the NFL again. Come on. Instead, he's going to become the face of the Nike campaign, right? He's the face of the Nike campaign as of 2018. And now he's got the NFL commissioner apologizing to him. Right? He's got Roger Goodell saying that he's going to be the face of social justice in the NFL. Kaepernick will work closely with The Undefeated, which is expanding its portfolio across Disney to develop stories from the perspectives of blacks, black and brown communities. His deal with the Walt Disney Company will extend across all Disney platforms, including Walt Disney TV, ESPN, Hulu, Pixar, and The Undefeated. I very much look forward to the new Pixar movie about Colin Kaepernick kneeling for the flag before being, before being tackled because he couldn't make a secondary read. During this unique, during this unprecedented time, said Bob Iger, Disney's executive chairman, the Walt Disney Company remains committed to creating diverse and inclusive content that resonates and matters. Colin's experience gives him a unique perspective on the intersection of sports, culture, and race, which will undoubtedly create compelling stories that will educate, enlighten, and entertain. And we look forward to working with him on this important collaboration. The docuseries about Kaepernick's journey is the first project in development. It will include new interviews and other never-before-seen elements as part of the docuseries. Who's the producer on the project? Jamel Hill, of course. Jamel Hill is showing up. So you remember Jamel Hill. Jamel Hill is a person who has suggested that everybody who watches NASCAR is a deep and abiding racist. Jamel Hill is a racial radical who has suggested that America is thoroughly evil, thoroughgoingly terrible. Well, now she is working for ESPN Disney, too. Isn't that exciting? In fact, she even tweeted out about it. Very excited. I'll be serving as a producer on Kaepernick's docuseries as part of his production deal with ESPN Disney and content collaboration with The Undefeated. I consider it an honor to play any role in telling Colin's story. Slow clap for America, man. Slow clap for America. Eric Hoffer, the famous cultural commentator back in the 1960s and 70s, he, he wrote, every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business, and eventually degenerates into a racket. Yep. Yep. And you know what? There's a, there's a little addition that could be made, theoretically. Okay, that, that little addition could be that the amount of time it takes to get from point A to point C right there, that would be from, from a cause to a racket, tells you about the greatness of the cause. Meaning if it's, if, it's, if it's a really great cause, it takes a while to go from being a cause to being a racket. Because people are actually motivated to make serious substantive change. A racket is just about making the bucks, right? And Colin Kaepernick making the money and doing docuseries about himself, the, the most narcissistic, solipsistic nonsense in the entire world. The, the, the quickness with which a movement goes from being a movement to being a racket demonstrates the, the seriousness of the, of the business, uh, of the cause in the first place. Okay, so I do love the fact that capitalism has now has figured out a way to churn out the America's hellscape nonsense for profit. Like, good for capitalism. Capitalism is great at this. It does demonstrate also that corporations, it's so funny, people think corporations are right-wing. Corporations are all conservative. They're so conservative. 
And the reason that you know that corporations are conservative is because they make money, except for the fact that you don't have to be conservative to make money. In fact, if you are interested only in making money, well, one of the things that you can do is you can just churn out stuff for the left. And that's exactly what is happening here. So everybody is happy to make a buck off of Colin Kaepernick. And I say good for them. I say, you know what? As long as we're going to be stuck in this morass of stupidity, somebody ought to make some money. And why not Colin Kaepernick? Hero to the masses. Man who, I mean, really, what a martyr he is. So how much has he sacrificed? He has sacrificed a backup slot on the San Francisco 49ers where he wasn't playing it down because he sucked so much that Blaine Gabbert was putting ahead of him. He, he sacrificed that rich, rewarding career for the, for the awfulness of having to trot around America, talking about how evil America is to the, to the cheers of the, and the, unadul- and the unadulterated drooling of the media, to an overall deal with Disney, one of the biggest companies on planet Earth, as well as millions of dollars from Nike to Neil. I mean, what, what a martyr. What a martyr. I think, when I think of martyrs, I think of like Jesus, Joan of Arc, Colin Kaepernick. I mean, like, clearly, clearly. What, what a horrible country this is. What, what a terrible, terrible country it is. And if you say it loud enough, they'll pay you too. They'll pay you too. More examples of how this has basically become a business now. It's basically become a scam now. And, and I'm, I will admit to being somewhat amused because, again, half of, the, half of the program here is about how capitalism is evil and capitalism is terrible. And the only solution to all of this is Marxism and remaking all of America's systems. And the systems of exploitation are really the problem here. And systemic racism is embedded in corporate America. And corporate America is like, Here's a dollar. Here's a dollar right here. You want it? You want this dollar? You want it? And half the woke crowd is like, absolutely, I want it. Bring it right here for me. Put it in my wallet. <laughs> I'm noticing that the, that the deep abiding belief system of Colin Kaepernick and Jamel Hill has not prohibited them from taking money from Walt Disney. Really well, well done, everyone. I, 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 second slow clap of the day already. I mean, really just incredibly well done. Okay, we're going to get to more, more of, of how American capitalism can turn anything, can turn any cause into a profit-making enterprise, which is a tribute to ingenuity. It's not a tribute to forethought because eventually you turn everything into an industry and then the industry takes over the business and wrecks you. But at least in the moment, you have to admire the ingenuity of turning a, a cause into a racket. We'll get into more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that you might have put on the pandemic 15. You might have been stuck in your house and now you look down at that waistline and it has expanded like the testing across the United States. Well, getting in shape doesn't have to be about losing a specific amount of weight or a magic number on a scale. It's about building healthy habits and feeling better about yourself. And this is where Noom comes in. If fitting into the favorite pair of jeans is your goal, great. But there are a lot of reasons you might want to practice self-care. Every person is different. This is why you need to change your habits on an individualized, personalized level. And Noom can help you do it. Noom is a habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and then empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Noom has one of the biggest, most accurate food databases available that lets you track meal habits, visualize portion sizes, and see calorie density at a glance. Chat with your goal specialist in Noom community to get and give, and give help to people who are going through the same things. Having that sort of common community to share is really great and helps you move forward with your own health plan. You don't have to change it all in one day. And you won't, right? I mean, you need to do it day by day. Noom gets it. Small steps make a big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom. That's N-O-O-M.com slash Shapiro. Again, that's Noom.com slash Shapiro to start your trial today. N-O-O-M.com slash Shapiro. Go check them out right now. Noom.com slash Shapiro. Okay, so it's not just a racket for Colin Kaepernick, obviously. Right, Colin Kaepernick, I mean, Al Sharpton's been making a very lucrative living for literally 
decades at this point from being one of the West's worst race baiters and a guy who literally created out of whole cloth an accusation of rape against a person. But there's a whole diversity industry. Understand the diversity industry, meaning the people who come into your company and give you diversity training, it's people making money off dumb. Okay, because they are not, there's, there's very little evidence to prove that this diversity training actively changes anything inside the culture of a company. Understand that diversity training was basically designed by corporations to pay off people not to sue them. That's basically what it was designed to do. It was designed so that companies could point to their diversity training and then say, how could you say that we have a systemic problem of discrimination in the company when we paid, we paid Robin D'Angelo $16,000 to come and speak at our company. And you say we have a problem with racism? We have a full-on week-long diversity training. That shows we care about diversity. So that's a shield from litigation. You can't suggest that we have a systemic culture of discrimination when we are willing to pay this person who has no bona fides and never accomplishing anything decent to, to come and lecture you about your white privilege. Okay, so the city of Seattle is doing this right now. The city of Seattle has diversity trainers. I love that everything becomes an industry, right? It's just, it's incredible. You think we can't create jobs in the United States? We can create jobs out of anything, anything. It does not matter. Is it like, that's how great cap, again, I keep praising capitalism because it's incredible. It's incredible. You can take the worst idea and you can, you can turn it into an entire billion dollar industry simply by blackmailing a few people with the possibility of lawsuits. And then corporations are like, ah, oh, I don't really want the lawsuit. I guess I'll just toss 10 grand at somebody to come and, and yell at us about the evils of white fragility or something, right? You can, you can do the same thing, not just by, by threats of lawsuit. You can also do it by threats of boycott. You can go after corporations and you can say to them, if you don't, if you don't do X, Y, or Z and pay us money, well, then we'll come after you, right? This was Al Sharpton's stock and trade for years. Al Sharpton would basically go to corporations and he'd say, I'm going to accuse you of racial profiling, but a small donation to my national action network will demonstrate your good faith. Right? This kind of stuff is super common in the United States. So the city of Seattle is now paying diversity trainers, which is pretty spectacular. And what did they teach? So according to Christopher Rufo, who is the contributing editor of City Journal, he's gotten a hold of some of their diversity documents and they are spectacular. Interrupting IRS and whiteness, the work of white accomplices. So you have to practice self-talk that affirms our complicity in racism. Right? They're going to train white people who work for the city of Seattle to practice self-talk affirming your complicity in racism. Racism is not our fault, but we are responsible. You have to do your own healing work. What trauma, patterns, or other unwell ways of being are you complicit in? Also, you have to cultivate networks of other white people who are practicing anti-racist accomplicehood so you can talk through your struggles in the work of undoing your own whiteness and showing up as allies and accomplices. I'm, I'm, not, I'm serious. This is all written in the diversity training. Also, what happens after the thought exercises? It's time to do the work. So what exactly does the work constitute according to these diversity trainers? The trainers ask white employees, according to Christopher Ruvo, to, quote, let go of comfort, guaranteed physical safety, control over the land, social status, and relationships with some other white people. Then there's a flow chart that outlines how white people cause harm to people of color. How do white people keep the system going? Well, the system co-ops us through so socialization to cause harm to people of color and to each other, right? It's, it's always the racist systems, the racist systems. Then you have a mindset and behaviors that, ju that, that justify why we are superior and have been wronged by people of color. Then our anger, self-righteousness, and defensiveness mask fear, shame, and guilt for the harm of our actions. Then we show up small and, and inauthentic, unable to see opportunities to contribute as allies and accomplices. And finally, we are unable to imagine a way forward that comes from the place of humanity and empowerment and the status quo. Okay, if all of this sounds like absolute drivel, 
That's because it's absolute drivel. And the city of Seattle is paying presumably tens of thousands of dollars for this cultish nonsense. It's all a racket. It is a racket. Okay, that is not to say that the cause of racial sensitivity in America is a racket. It is not. This has nothing to do with racial sensitivity and everything to do with a group of people who are making a buck by claiming that America sucks. America is an evil, terrible place where people who stand for diversity can make tens of thousands of dollars by talking about how diversity is really important and America is an evil, terrible place. And, the, and by the way, they're the victims, right? Colin, again, Colin Kaepernick, the diversity trainers, they're all victims. Everybody's a victim. Amazing, amazing stuff. Also, you can, you can be given a, um, you can also be given a slot at the New York Times if you, if you demonstrate your own wokeness, right? We, we won't care anything you have to say, but the minute you decide to go woke, then all of a sudden we take your opinion seriously. There's a lot of, there's a lot of quan to be made here in the phraseology of Jerry Maguire. A lot of quan to be made when it comes to all of this. Okay, the Lucian Trescott is a, the fourth, is a journalist. He's also a direct descendant of Thomas Jefferson. He has a piece in the New York Times today called, I'm a direct descendant of Thomas Jefferson. Take down his memorial. Now, no one cared what this guy had to say five minutes ago. Like literally five minutes ago, no one knew who this guy was or cared what he had to say. But now it's time for him to get a little bit of money. It's time for him to get a little richer and a little more famous because no one knew who he was. Now it's time for him to speak out about the evils of Thomas Jefferson. You know, couple hundred years after Thomas Jefferson's dead. Like, the, n- n- now's the time. Now's the time. We're going to get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that everyone is moving their workout from the gym to home. It's a good shot in the United States that your gym isn't even open right now. That means you have to find creative ways to use the space you are in. And it's possible you don't have room for all the exercise equipment that you had at your gym. In fact, that is likely, nor do you have the money. So instead, what you should be doing is looking for creative ways to work out. One of the best I've found is Crossrope. Crossrope is my new favorite fitness experience. If you're short on time, no worries. Crossrope lets you get a killer full body workout in just 30 minutes. It combines that intense cardio workout of jumping rope with full body resistance training. They have a bunch of different weighted ropes and you can, you can change them up. You can put them on the handles. They give you a better, a better feedback, which makes it easier for beginners to get started and learn. They've got durable steel ropes, ergonomic handles, a patented fast clip system for swapping rope weights fast. I've done this workout several times at this point, many times actually, and I can tell you, it is a workout. I mean, it's a serious workout. Probably you're working out better than you would be at the gym anytime. You can get free access anytime to quick workouts and fun challenges with the Crossrope app, and now you can pursue your fitness goals wherever you are, even at home. It's easy to get started with Crossrope. Just order your ropes, download the app, and enjoy the results. Choose between their Get Lean or Get Strong sets depending on your fitness goals as well, or get the best value for both sets with the Get Fit Bundle. So if you're ready for a new cardio and full body home workout, visit crossrope.com slash Shapiro. This isn't just for boxers and CrossFit athletes or jumping rope. This is for you, okay? It's a great workout and it is not hard. Get up to 40 bucks off Crossrope sets plus free shipping when you check out today at crossrope.com slash Shapiro. That's S-H-A-P-I-R-O, crossrope.com slash Shapiro. Go check them out right now. Okay, so again, you can make a lot of, of waves and, and gain publicity by taking the proper woke position these days. So Lucian Truscott, who nobody had heard over, who, who nobody heard of five seconds ago, he's a columnist for Salon, right? So nobody cared what he had to say. But it turns out that he has a relationship with Thomas Jefferson because he's a direct descendant of Thomas Jefferson. And therefore, he has the authority to say it's time to take down the Thomas Jefferson Memorial. He writes, we were surrounded by the history of Thomas Jefferson when we would made visits to my grandparents. We would drive down to Charlottesville with our grandmother to visit our great aunts and our great grandmother. And they would take us up the mountain to Monticello and drop us off to play in the house and on the grounds. They treated Monticello like it was the family home because in a way it was. They were great granddaughters of Jefferson. They'd been born and grew up only a few miles away at a family plantation called Edge Hill. I guess that's why my brother and I, the great grandsons, took the Jefferson Memorial for granted. 
We had his ancestral home as a playground. It was where all of our great grandparents and great aunts and great uncles were buried and where one day we were told we would be buried too. We didn't need the Jefferson Memorial. Monticello was enough. It's still enough. In fact, as a memorial to Jefferson, it's almost perfect. And that is why his memorial in Washington should be taken down and replaced. Described by the National Park Service as a shrine to freedom, it is anything but. Okay, well, that is obviously not true. It is a shrine to freedom. The way you can tell it's a shrine to freedom is because of all the text that is on the memorial. It's all phraseology from the Declaration of Independence talking about freedom. The great contradiction of Thomas Jefferson as a human being is that he was a man who held very high ideals but did not abide by them, which is a sin common to humanity. Doesn't mean that Jefferson didn't treat his slaves with unique evil. His treatment of Sally Hemings, I mean, he literally fathered children with his own slave and then kept them enslaved. I mean, that's an act of great evil. You don't have to ignore any of that to recognize that, again, for the thousandth time, when you build monuments to people, you are not building monuments to their cruelty as a general rule. You're building monuments to the stuff they did that was good. You don't build a monument to someone because you believe everything they ever did was good. You build a monument to somebody because of the thing they did that was good. That is the point. But according to this this guy who no one cared about until five seconds ago when he claimed ancestry to Jefferson, which I assume is true, now, now he gets a piece in the New York Times talking about how it's time to take down the Jefferson Memorial. He says, the memorial is a shrine to a man who during his lifetime owned more than 600 slaves, had at least six children with one of them, Sally Hemings. It's a shrine to a man who famously wrote that all men are created equal in the Declaration of Independence and yet never did, make, did much to make those words come true. Well, I mean, he did do some to make those words come true, namely the founding of the United States that was instrumental in the tearing down of the institution of slavery in the United States. The words he wrote in the Declaration of Independence were invoked not just by Abraham Lincoln to stop slavery in the United States. They were invoked by Frederick Douglass to question why the promises had not been extended to black Americans. They were invoked by Booker T. Washington. They were invoked by Martin Luther King Jr. The idea that he did nothing to end slavery is simply not true. He did nothing in his own life to end slavery with with regard to himself. But the principles he established, which is the reason the monument's there, not for his personal life. Okay, the, the principles that he established were a, maybe the most important, most important philosophical brick hurled through the window of slavery in the United States. So to pretend that that makes no difference is, is simply ridiculous. He says, I'm the sixth, gener- sixth generation great-grandson of a slave owner. My cousins from Sally Hemings' family are also the great-grandchildren of a slave owner. The difference is that our great-grandfather owned their great-grandmother. Yes, we, we get it. We get it. I, I will also point out that when he says that we should preserve Monticello, because you'll learn the history of, of Jefferson and Monticello. Anytime he wants us to tear down Monticello, like, I don't know why the monument should stand at all. Right? We are told by, by this guy, by Lucian Truscott IV, that Jefferson never did anything to end slavery. So why do we even have a monument to him at Monticello? Why are we preserving his family, his family memorial over at Monticello? That shouldn't be there either. The bottom line is that once the door is open to people making a name for themselves off a particular point of view that happens to not like America, that door does not close for quite a while. Okay, so all of this, of course, is incredibly counterproductive. None of it helps the country forward. You would imagine that President Trump could take advantage of some of this. And in fact, the speech that he gave over the weekend at Mount Rushmore was quite good on this, right? He points out that the history of America is good, that our heroes are worth remembering, and that and that we should not be tearing down statues of Washington and Jefferson. At no point does he mention the Confederate flag. At no point does he mention Confederate generals. At, at no point does he get into sort of the dicier areas of racial controversy in the United States. He instead talks about the great universal principles upon which the United States was founded. So naturally, that means within 48 hours, he's tweeting about stuff that completely undermines everything that he said at at Mount Rushmore. Again, Trump without Twitter is somewhere near 50% in the approval ratings. Trump with Twitter is at 38% in the approval rating. He needs to stop this. He needs to stop it, not only because it's bad for the country, but also on a personal survival level as a politician, it is bad for him. 
The president spent the last 48 hours tweeting about Bubba Wallace and NASCAR and renaming sports teams. He tweeted out, has Bubba Wallace apologized to all of those great NASCAR drivers and officials who came to his aid, stood by his side and were willing to sacrifice everything for him, only to find out the whole thing was just another hoax? That and flag decision has caused lowest ratings ever. So there he is defending the Confederate flag against the supposed predations of NASCAR and going after Bubba Wallace in a controversy that ended two weeks ago. And in which it turns out that Bubba Wallace actually ended up making a pretty good statement about how he was happy that it didn't turn out to be a noose. And he was glad that people showed solidarity with him. Hey, like, what is the president doing here? And the answer is he's not doing anything. He's bored and he's on the toilet. I mean, I'm sorry, there is no 4D chess game here. That's all that's happening. The president is bored. He's on the toilet. He's watching Fox and Friends on the TV and he's tweeting. And that's all that's happening. And he tweeted about the renaming of sports teams. They, they, they named teams out of strength, not weakness. But now the Washington Redskins and Cleveland Indians, two fabled sports, sports franchises, look like they're going to be changing their names in order to be politically correct. Indians like Elizabeth Warren must be very angry right now. Okay, I'll admit that's funny, but... It is also true. Is this, is this like the message that you're going for? He goes to Mount Rushmore and he gives what should be a pretty easy unifying message. And then immediately he decides to jump into sort of hot topics of the day over on The View. And it's like, this is, this is not, not useful, not useful. Uh, okay, meanwhile, there are actual serious issues going on in the country. And again, the president could be running against the left on these issues, particularly the crime surge. It turns out that the vast Black Lives Matter push to defund the police has some pretty damned horrific consequences all over the country in major cities. We'll get to that in just one second. First, we're home more than usual these days. It's still hard to keep a close eye on things. More deliveries means a lot of boxes left unattended. And in LA, particularly, we've had a spate of people going around and stealing boxes out of mailboxes or off of front stoops. Well, you can actually hand that footage over to the police. And you can tell when somebody is doing that because you are notified as soon as someone is on your front stoop, as long as you have Ring. Ring gives you protection at every corner. Video doorbells let you answer the door and check in on your home anytime. You can keep an eye on your doorstep and speak to delivery people when you can't come to the door. With outdoor security cameras, you can check in on every part of your house and never miss a moment. Smart lighting brightens up blind spots. Make sure you always come home to a brightly lit house. Full home security systems give you everything you need to protect your family, pets, and property. You can get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit when you go to ring.com slash Ben. That welcome kit includes the Ring Video Doorbell 3 and the Chime Pro. That's all you need to start building that ring of custom security for your home today. Just go to ring.com slash Ben, ring.com slash Ben. I feel much more secure because I have Ring devices all over my house. I can keep track of my crazy kids. So when they're trying to hurl themselves bodily into dangerous areas, I can go out and stop them. Also, I can keep track of what's going on outside my house, no matter where I am in the country, which is of great comfort to me during this time. Go check them out at ring.com slash Ben. You will feel safer because you will be safer. Ring.com slash Ben. That is ring.com slash Ben. Okay, meanwhile, it turns out that all of this, it's all fun and games until people start getting shot. So the, the whole sort of capitalization of the Black Lives Matter movement, the attempt to turn the, the cause into a business and then into a racket, the message still is promulgated. And this is the danger. Right? This is what I was saying before about the short-term interests of corporations not really meshing with their long-term interests. There's been a critique of the left and of some of the populists right for a long time with regard to corporations. The corporations very often are looking at the bottom line for like the next two weeks, but they're not looking at the bottom line for the next 20 years because there's turnover of corporations. And there's some studies that show that that is the case with regard to particular decisions. Overall, typically, people are kind of looking down the road at what's going on in the country. But there's one area where corporations are absolutely helpless when it comes to looking down the road. And that is when there is internal and external clamor about what corporations are doing. And that means that when corporations are assaulted from all sides about how they are, quote unquote, sponsoring hate speech on Facebook, and so they pull their money 
because they're afraid of standing up for themselves. Or when they are told, just sponsor a diversity training and we'll leave you alone. They think to themselves, okay, well, is the brand hit really worth it? Okay, here's the problem. They are not taking into account the full weight of what's going to come on the other end of the, of the supplication. What, what's going to happen after these corporations bow to the pressure is that there will be more pressure. There will be more pressure. And the messages they are promulgating undermine the very system that does allow them to operate safely and securely. So you will see Coca-Cola pull its ads from Facebook, the behest of left-wing social media pressure groups who are attempting to, to get Coca-Cola to disassociate from free speech platforms, right? And then Coca-Cola will have to move out of Atlanta because Coca-Cola is going to be in a city that, is, that has more crime, right? The, the, these are all connected. There is a connection here between caving to causes that actually undermine the system itself. And this is where corporations are not taking into account the future. Okay, corporations think that if they just feed the alligator a little bit, then, then capitalism will always win. Capitalism will always win. Well, that's true up until the point when the messages that the corporations themselves have been sponsoring end up destroying the system within which they operate. And that's the cleverness. I will say that is clever on the part of some of the, quote, anti-racist crowd. I say, quote, anti-racist because their definition of anti-racism isn't anti-racism. It's a complete rewriting of the term, right, as we've talked about. It basically means tear down the system. Their idea is let's pressure corporations into basically adopting our sloganeering. And then we'll use that sloganeering to tear down the systems by which the corporations get to operate. In fact, by which all of American capitalism gets to operate. So all we have to do is pressure them on this one soft point. We'll stick the knife in right here, and then they will cave to us, and the air will go out of the balloon, and then we'll collapse the system around them because we'll actually turn them into a loudspeaker against the system that allows them to operate in free, unmitigated fashion. And you can see this most clearly when it comes to crime. So you've seen you know, the white woke left in these major cities across the country basically caving to the defund the police movement because they figure, okay, well, you know what? I live in a pretty safe area. What if we just, you know, let's focus in. The, the call for fighting police brutality sounds pretty good. Defunding the police doesn't sound as good. But, you know, maybe if we go along with it, then everything will calm down a little bit. And maybe, just maybe, it'll work. Okay, now, the system upon which you get to spend all of your time protesting because you live in a rich, secure, wonderful, free America, that starts to disappear too. Because the first predicate for a successful civilization is a certain sustainable level of law and order. And that is disappearing very, very quickly. The crime is surging in major cities around the United States, unfortunately. According to Michael Snyder at the Economic Collapse blog, he says what we are witnessing all over the country right now is incredibly sad. In the aftermath of the tragic death of George Floyd, it would have been wonderful to see the entire nation unite behind an effort to make our society less violent, more just and peaceful. Instead, we've seen a tremendous explosion of violence and lawlessness that doesn't seem likely to end anytime soon. Violent crime rates are surging in major city after major city. The 4th of July weekend was particularly bad. At least 41 people were hit by gunfire in New York City during the holiday weekend. This continues a trend we have seen throughout the first half of 2020. According to figures released by the NYPD, for the first six months of this year, there were 176 murders, an increase of 23% on the 143 killed during the same period last year. The number of shooting victims has gone up 51% to 616 this year. In June alone, there were 250 shootings compared to 97 in the same month last year. Month on month, burglaries are up 119%. Car thefts are up 48%. Those are obviously horrendous, horrendous numbers. And things are getting worse in Chicago too. At least 67 people were hit by gunfire in the Windy City over the July 4th weekend, including 13 people who were shot to death. Nine of the weekend's victims were minors. Two children died, including a 14-year-old boy. Philadelphia, shootings are up 67%. Victims of armed violence are up 29%. Homicides are up 25%. Law enforcement in downtown Portland are under attack consistently from members of Antifa. 
And what, what we are watching right now is the collapse of law and order in major cities around the United States. And by the way, the people who are damaged most by this are black and brown people. According to Tom Winter, a reporter for NBC News, quote, every single person who has been shot in New York City this July, nearly 100 in total, has been a member of, my, of, a, of the minority community. 97% of shooting victims in June were members of the city's minority communities, according to the NYPD. Chief of Crime Control Strategies Michael LePetri told reporters yesterday, all murder victims in June, all, were of the minority community. The city's spike in crime is now a bona fide trend. Homicides are up 27% year-to-date, are running 11.3% higher than they were five years ago. 50% of the shootings have taken place in just 10 precincts. Those communities are being overrun by a small percentage of gang members who have little regard for their own life and no regard for their community. Chicago's recent crime-fighting success has cratered a homicide rate that has risen, 30, that has risen 34% this year compared to last for a total of 324 deaths. Over the last 28 days, compared to last year over the same period, homicides rose 83% in Chicago. 83%. And for this reason, you are seeing governors in red states starting to react. The Georgia governor, Brian Kemp, has now deployed 1,000 National Guard troops to Atlanta after the violent weekend in Atlanta. Americans are more and more looking at leaving larger cities for suburban towns because this is what happens. The white woke liberals, they go along with this stuff, but then because the white woke liberals are rich enough to spend their days not worried about what happens to poorer people who are victimized by violence, when the violence reaches their front door, they're like, oh, you know what? This is a bad place to live. I'm leaving. According to The Hill, a perfect storm of factors make the decision to leave major cities like New York very obvious. Many are moving to small towns north of the five boroughs. Four upstate counties have seen an incredible surge in real estate demand while the rest of the New York market is cratering. Oh, who could have perceived that all of the woke policies pursued by Black Lives Matter are counterproductively pushing people to leave these cities and the people disproportionately who can afford to leave the cities, namely the people who are paying for the tax base in these cities. But don't worry, it's really all about the cause, guys. Remember, it's all about the cause. It's not, about, it's not a media racket. It's all about the cause. Now, how, do, how does this get justified? Really, seriously, how does this get justified is the big question. Because when you see a tremendous uptick in violence, when you see people who are being shot, and in New York City, 100% members of minority communities, when you see that, how can you possibly justify causes like defund the police? Or let's not talk about the problem of inner city violence, which, by the way, is what this is. I mean, we're watching in these cases minority on minority violence. This isn't white cops going into these inner cities and killing people. That's not what's happening here. How do we justify that? We justify that by blinkering ourselves because the narrative must live. This is how you know it's a racket. It's a racket because the narrative has to live even if people have to die to preserve the narrative. That's a racket. There's no other way to describe it. We're going to get to the media racket, the Democratic racket. It is a racket here. We're going to get to it in just one second. First, the quintessential American dream is owning and building a successful business. The freedom and opportunity of being your own boss is a major, major thing. Right? I've always wanted to be my own, my own boss. Now I'm lucky enough to be my own boss. But if you're a business owner, you know that there are a lot of moving parts. It's very easy to get lost in the shuffle and for information to get lost in the shuffle. Here's something you definitely can't like get lost in the shuffle. I'm talking about invoices, right? You finally, you do a service for somebody, you invoice them. Six months later, you remember, oh, I invoiced that guy. And then I just completely forgot about it because I had made a Word document on my computer, printed it out and handed it to the guy. That is not the way you should do business. Instead, our friends over at BlinkSale built an invoicing software that helps you stay on top of your money and keep track of everything in one place. So you can stop sending those nagging emails to get paid for your work. With BlinkSale, you can send beautiful custom branded invoices and estimates in seconds. You can stay on top of your outstanding invoices. You can let your customers and clients easily pay your invoices online. You'll even get instant notifications when a customer opens your invoice so you'll actually know if they're just avoiding paying you. 
Forget about using invoice templates or stressing about coordinating a bunch of different software programs. BlingSale takes care of it, soup to nuts for you, so you can actually get paid for the business that you have done and make your business a success. As an added bonus, BlingSale is giving away 10 bucks to 500 Daily Wire fans. Here's how to get it. Go to BlingSale.com, start your 14-day free trial. Create your first invoice of 10 bucks and activate an online payment option. Stripe or PayPal, send the invoice to dailywire at blinksale.com and get paid your $10. The first 500 people to send an invoice for 10 bucks to dailywire at blinksale.com will get their invoice paid by Blinksale. Limit of one per person. Pretty, pretty solid deal just to try out a service you really have anyway. Stop wasting your time invoicing. Try Blinksale for free at blinksale.com slash Ben. That is B-L-I-N-K-S-A-L-E dot com slash Ben. Blinksale.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Okay, coming up, we're going to get to how you know this is a racket and how this is being played as a racket. People are dying, but it doesn't matter. We can't pay attention to the dead people. Pay no attention to the bodies in the corner. We have a narrative to promote here. We have a narrative to promote. We're going to get to that in just one second. First, if you're not already a Daily Wire member, you really should consider getting a reader's pass to dailywire.com. It is a great value for only three bucks a month. When you sign up, you get that first month for only 99 cents. You also get access to our mobile app, articles ad-free, and access to exclusive editorials like my latest, Anti-Racism Crusade Seeks to Eradicate Everything We Share. Hey, anti-racism is in scare quotes right there, as it should be, because it's a term of art that is being used and misappropriated. So if you haven't checked out the Reader's Pass already, head on over to dailywire.com and sign up for just $1. Go check it out right now. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So these black lives do matter. Okay, the people who are being shot in cities around the United States, who again are disproportionately of color, right? They're disproportionately black. Specifically, they're disproportionately black. There are some people who are Hispanic being shot, but disproportionately, these are black people who are being shot. Those lives matter too. There's some heartbreaking video that came out from Chicago where an 11 year old boy was murdered. And the grandfather was on TV and he said, It seems like to many people, black lives matter only, they, they, they only matter when a cop pulls the trigger, right? Otherwise, you don't give two solid dams about it. And he is exactly right about this. This is exactly right because the narrative is about the narrative and the narrative is about tearing down the system. The narrative from the Black Lives Matter organization and from the media about Black Lives Matter is not just about police brutality. It's about the idea that America is systemically racist, that all problems that are experienced in the United States can be chalked up to the system itself and that there is, we should just pay no attention to the far bigger problem, the far bigger threat to Black life in the United States because all violence in the United States is intraracial, virtually all, right? Meaning whites kill whites, black kills, blacks kill blacks, Latinos kill Latinos on a statistical level. That is the reality. That means that the far greater threat to black life in the United States than the cops are criminals who share the race of the, of the victim, right? Again, true cross-racially, true in every race. But we're not allowed to pay attention to that if it's a black person killing another black person. And it doesn't matter if, the, if it's a kid, it doesn't matter. We're not going to know the name of this dead 11-year-old from the media because that 11-year-old doesn't matter. Right? Tamir Rice matters because Tamir Rice was 12 years old and was shot by the police in disputed circumstances in which he was unfortunately killed in a, in a horrific situation where he had sawed the front off of a BB gun so it looked like a regular gun and the cops mistook him. We all know that name because it's a terrible, terrible situation. No one is going to know the name of this 11-year-old because his death does not back the narrative that the greatest threat to black life in the United States is coming from white supremacist and, and evil white supremacist systems. Here is the grandfather of this 11-year-old. 
everybody just saying they're just tired, tired of the shootings in the community. Everybody's running around here thinking they're Uzi toting, dope sucking, psychopathic killer machines, and they're just destroying lives. But we're protesting for months, uh, for weeks, saying Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. If Black Lives Matter, it seems like only when a police officer shoot a black person. What about all the black on black crime that's happening in the community? Does he not have the credibility to say that? His grandson just got shot. By the way, he's in Washington, D.C., not in Chicago. The, uh, the 11-year-old boy was identified as Devon McNeil. You try to remember the name because the media don't care. The media are not going to pay any attention to Devon McNeil. Just as so they paid no attention to the literally dozens of, of young black kids who have probably been killed this year in major cities across the United States. I believe there were four or five killings of, of young black people across the United States on the July 4th weekend alone, none of them by cops. And we saw the killings of two black minors in, in Seattle Chop. You don't know their names. Right. The, the, the media narrative is that America is to blame for all of this and that personal responsibility at no level can be applied to a problem in which personal responsibility is required. Right. Here's the grandfather saying you have a young, bunch of young people who are treating themselves as Uzi toting killing machines. That's a problem. The media won't talk about that problem because that problem doesn't matter. You know who makes this perfectly clear? The scam. Don Lemon makes this perfectly clear. So Don Lemon had Terry Crews on. Terry Crews pointed out that it seems to me that if you say Black Lives Matter, that really should include all Black Lives Matter. So I'm old enough to remember when if somebody said Black Lives Matter and you said all lives matter, this meant that you were bad. Why did this mean you were bad? Because the category all includes black, right? That, that, that is just a logical fact. Okay, the, the category all includes all, which would include black people, as well as white people, as well as Hispanic people. So all lives matter was just a recognition that black lives matter just the same way that all other lives matter. This was considered insufficiently woke because if you said all lives matter, what you were failing to recognize is the special threat that existed to black lives from the white system. Now, I do not actually believe that the cops pose a special threat to black lives in the United States because statistically speaking, they do not actually pose a, a, a greater threat to black lives in the United States. There is zero statistical evidence that police disproportionately shoot black people in the United States. That evidence does not exist. Okay, so even putting that aside, but even assuming that you believe that there is racism, miasmatic systemic racism and institutional racism brought to bear on black people. So Black Lives Matter, you would think, would include all Black Lives Matter. But here's where you're wrong. According to Don Lemon, he actively says this. According to Don Lemon, if, you, if somebody says to you Black Lives Matter and you say, you're right, all Black Lives Matter, right? Not just all lives. Not, we're not talking about whites. We're not talking about Latinos now. We're saying all Black Lives Matter. So it matters when a black kid is shot by the cops and it matters just as much when, as is far more common, a black kid is shot by another black person. If you say that, that's bad. So you can't say, so the, apparently the category black lives does not include all black lives. It only includes some black lives. And Don Lemon says this out loud, which is very, very wild, right? It's especially wild because he's lying in two ways. One, black lives matter should include all black lives, obviously. And if we, and, and this is the discussion the media wish to avoid, obviously. If the media were going to discuss the priority of saving black lives, that would require them to talk about something beyond the evil of the cops. In fact, it would require more cops, not fewer cops. But the media don't want to talk about that, right? That undercuts the narrative. And so they would rather overtly say that not all black lives matter, right? They would rather say that than acknowledge the reality, which is that the solution to violence against black people is the same as the solution to violence against all people generally, which is you need more law enforcement, not less law enforcement, right? So Don Lemon doesn't want to say that. So what you're going to hear in this clip is Don Lemon explicitly say that if you say to somebody black lives matter and they say back to you all black lives matter, they're avoiding the point, which is police brutality. So he's lying in that way. He's also lying when he said, because he, he, you'll hear him say it in this clip. He will say that Black Lives Matter is only about police brutality. That is clearly not true. It is clearly not true. 
Okay, if you've been watching what's been going on in the United States, we've been told that if you loot a store, that is part of the Black Lives Matter movement because it is unbridled rage against the system. It's not just about police brutality. Police brutality is one symptom, but the bigger problem is systemic institutional racism, right? The racism that's out there in the air, aerosolized, just like coronavirus, right? It's just out there and you can't avoid it. And it infects you, even if you don't know you have it, right? So don't give me that Black Lives Matter was just about police brutality. When it was just about police brutality, I was on board. When it was about police brutality, I was talking on the show about how qualified immunity might need to be curbed in certain ways. I was talking about better data sharing, right? We were all on board with that. And then the bill died in the Senate and nobody's mentioned it again, ever, which suggests that this is all a scam. It is all a racket on the part of the media members. That doesn't mean everybody who's marching knows that it's a scam on the part of the media members, but it is, okay, it's a scam. When you, when you hear Don Lemon, again, gaslighting you by saying Black Lives Matter, it was always just about police brutality. Really, then why are we talking about tearing down statues? Really, then, then what exactly does Black Lives Matter have to do with the 1619 Project? Right? If it's just about police brutality, then what the hell are, what is this broader conversation that Don Lemon is promoting each and every night on his show? Why is it that the Black Lives Matter organization does not restrict itself to police brutality? As Terry Crews points out, the Black Lives Matter organization is a neo-Marxist organization that talks about restructuring systems, destroying, it says this on its website, destroying the atomic family and free Palestine. So they do not actually limit their priorities to Black Lives Matter. So what Don Lemon really means is that there's only one narrative he wants to promote. Any narrative that is consonant with the message that America is to blame for all evils and that white supremacy is to blame for everything that happens in the United States, that's worth discussing. If a black person kills another black person in the inner city, then that does not matter to Don Lemon, apparently. That is not worth discussing. He says, you can form a, you can form a, a committee to talk about that, except that black people are dying in real time in major cities around the United States at an extraordinary rate because of exactly the policies that are being pursued by people like Don Lemon on national television. So now it's a little relevant. Is it not? Now would be a good time to discuss it. Not form a separate committee. Hey, here is Don Lemon saying that when you say all black lives matter, you're neglecting that we're only talking about a certain subset of black lives, which should beg the question, or at least raise the question, why? Why? Here's Don Lemon just, really, I mean, it's a clarifying and wonderful clip. The Black Lives Matter movement was started because it was talking about police brutality. If you want an all Black Lives Matter movement that talks about gun violence, in communities, including, you know, black communities, then start that movement with that name. But that's not what Black Lives Matter is about. It's not an all-encompassing. So if you're talking about, um, if, if someone started a movement that said, uh, cancer matters, and then someone comes in and said, why aren't you talking about HIV? It's not the same thing. We're talking about cancer. Black Lives Matter is about police brutality and about, and about criminal justice. It's not about what happens in, in communities when it comes to crime, black on black crime. People who live near each other, black people, kill each other. Same as whites. Eighty-some percent of white people are killed by white people true. because of proximity. Very it's the same thing with black people. But that again, happens in every single I neighborhood. But that isn't, again, I'm not you saying know, that's not like, important that those, those kids die, but it's a different people. movement. Okay, stop. So he says, it's, I'm not saying it's not important those kids die, but it's a different movement. No, it's not. Okay, so now Black Lives Matter means whatever Don Lemon says Black Lives Matter means. It started off as police brutality, then it moved on to defund the police, then it moved on to tear down all the statues and implicate the entire American system, then it moved on to Independence Day in Mount Rushmore, and now Don Lemon's like, no, 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 we were just talking about police brutality. Stop mentioning the fact that a disproportionate number of young black people are being killed by other young black people in inner cities, which, by the way, is a much larger threat to black life in the United States. Stop talking about that. By the way, his analogy completely failed. If you had, a, if you had he, he suggests in that clip, that if you had a group called Cancer Matters, and then somebody else said HIV Matters, that that would be a change of topic. That's true, 
Because what you're talking about, the noun there is cancer. Okay, the noun here is black lives. That means all black lives. The equivalent, if you're going to make an analogy, would be you start a group called Cancer Matters and someone says, prostate cancer matters. Correct. This falls within the subcategory of cancer, you idiot. I mean, that is, that is clearly, like, what? So I, I have a lot of suspicion of terms that expand and contract at will in order to promote a certain narrative. And that's what you're watching right here because for a lot of people in the media, this is not about saving black lives. For a lot of people in the media, this is not about making life in America better. For a lot of people in the media, it's about pushing causes that they like regardless of the consequences. Consequences be damned. And don't worry, you can always blame somebody else. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot was asked about increased violence in her city and she's blaming freaking coronavirus. She's blaming COVID-19. Which, by the way, you should see a decline in violence in your city when you, re when you relegate everyone to their homes. You shouldn't see an increase in murder in your city when everyone is forced to go to their houses and wait out a pandemic. But here she is blaming COVID-19, not, not her own crappy policy. What is happening right now? All of these forces are coming together at the same time and making it very difficult. The ecosystem of public safety that isn't just law enforcement, but is local, community-based. They, too, have really been hit hard by COVID and are now just kind of coming back online and getting their footing. Oh, it was COVID. It was COVID. By the way, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms of Atlanta, where a child was shot over the weekend. An eight-year-old child, we talked about it yesterday on the show, was shot to death because she has allowed the area around the Wendy's where Rayshard Brooks, a criminal, was shot by the police after grabbing a taser off a cop, shooting a cop, trying to shoot another cop with a taser, and then was shot. People have taken over that area near the Wendy's, and they've set up sort of a paramilitary zone. And somebody tried to drive through it with an eight-year-old child in the back, and people shot the kid to death. Now, Keisha Lance Bottoms, who's being vetted for VP in the Democratic Party, as she presides over a city in a state of collapse, she suggests that President Trump is to blame for the increased violence in her city. We talk about systemic racism and the trauma and the anxiety and all these things that are happening in our communities. And it is this convergence and, and I hate to use the word a perfect storm, but it's where we are in this country right now. And you think about the leadership or the lack thereof that we have coming from the highest office in the land. You're the um, mayor, I, I think that you're the you mayor. You're the mayor of the city. It's, it's the national leadership. You're the mayor of the city. Mayor of the city. She's the mayor. Like, you don't get to do that. Come on. Come on. So Trump has now become like systemic racism. He can, he's blamable for everything. He's the god of the gaps at this point. I can't explain my, why my own governance is absolute garbage. My police forces are walking out on me because I keep maligning them. I can't explain any of it. So, you know, instead, what I'm really going to talk about is Trump. Trump, 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 Trump. The all-purpose excuse. Bad orange man. Orange man, bad. Bad orange. Bad orange man. Okay, meanwhile, by the way, Keisha Lance Bottoms, it comes out, has COVID-19. That, she, she says that she is not symptomatic, but she does have COVID-19. And um, yes, she did attend protests without a mask. So that was the thing that happened. She says she has tested positive for coronavirus. Speaking of COVID-19, I'm going to give you the quick COVID-19 update here because we haven't talked about it in a couple of days. And the media misinformation here is truly astonishing. So NBC is reporting that COVID-19 cases are skyrocketing amidst the celebrations. Okay, I, I would just like to note, this started directly when the protest started. You can look at the timeline. The cases began to jump right at the beginning of June. What else was happening right at the beginning of June? Not the reopening. The reopening in these states began in early May. When did the, when did the spike happen? It happened constant with the protests, which makes sense because the cases that we are seeing are largely mild. They're not leading to death in the same way. 
there among young people. Here is NBC suggesting that it really is, you know, random causes. It couldn't be the, it couldn't be the protests or anything. Saying COVID-19 cases are skyrocketing. There's two lies the media are telling about this. One is that the rates of death are inevitably going to increase here. Which again, we're waiting. And like, I'm, I'm, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. But when you make a prediction and then the prediction doesn't come true for like a full month, at a certain point, you have to start wondering, like there will come an expiration date. I think it's probably a week and a half away where if the death rates have not skyrocketed, people are just going to be like, what was supposed to happen here? Because yesterday, reported number of deaths, 378 in the United States. Last, mon- last Monday, reported number of deaths in the, United Stra- in the United States, 366. Okay, so in other words, we've basically been flatlined. You can look at the chart. It looks like a bell curve. And it kind of, on the other side of the, of the steep hill is a sort of slow descent. Okay, but we've been at a plateau for a while here now. The deaths continue to decrease. So the cases increase, the deaths decrease. So line number one is that inevitably, for, we know, we know that the deaths will follow. It'll be just like New York. We've been hearing this seriously from members of the media. It's going to be new, 10 New Yorks all over the country. No, it probably is not going to be like that. There are multiple reasons why it's not going to be like that, which I'll get to in just a second. That, that is lie number one. Is that, the, is that the cases are skyrocketing, therefore the deaths will follow. We, we don't know that. Number two, the lie is that the vast uptick in cases cannot be attributed in any way to great social justice protests. Instead, they have to be attributed solely to backyard barbecues and reopening and evil Ron DeSantis and, and evil Doug Ducey in Arizona. Not to Gavin Newsom in California, who's also experiencing a major uptick, because Gavin Newsom's good, because he's a Democrat. But all the, all the Republican governors are very bad. So those are the two lies that you are being told. Here was NBC News doing some panic porn. Coronavirus concerns not enough to keep everyone home this holiday weekend. Myrtle Beach brimming with visitors. Fire Island in New York lit up with people. And at this Michigan Lake party, attendees packed together in no visible masks. For many Americans, this 4th of July felt a little foreign with shuttered shores and scaled back fireworks. So it is disappointing, but it is understandable. But even those safety steps couldn't stop a furious COVID surge this weekend. Florida, South Carolina, and Texas among the states notching new daily records. Okay, so uh, obviously we should be worried about the case numbers, the test numbers. There are a few things to note about the test numbers. One, the tests have increased. The positivity rates have increased. In some cases, you're seeing people double tested because those actually are reflected in places like Florida, apparently, is that if you get tested and you test positive, you test again to make sure it's not a false positive, for example, and both those cases get reported. But even with that said, there's obviously an uptick in number of cases. The question is, is it going to overwhelm the hospital system? And are people going into hospitals dying? And those are two separate questions. Is it overwhelming the hospital systems? So far, the answer is no. So far, the answer is no. The media keeps saying that Texas is overwhelmed. And then like a day later, the head of the Texas hospital will be like, no, we got flex capacity. We're still doing, in Texas, I believe they're still doing elective surgeries, which means that those beds are being filled by people who do not have COVID. In fact, in Arizona, as of yesterday, the inpatient's bed in use are basically the same as they were a month ago. Right. So it's not as though the, the ICUs are being completely overwhelmed in, in Arizona. We're not to that point yet. We're not being overwhelmed in the state of Texas. Just last week, the heads of all the Texas major hospitals in Houston, they were saying we're not overwhelmed in the same way in the ICUs as New York. Also, worth noting that the hospitalizations today, right, hospitalizations are rising, but the outcome of hospitalizations has dramatically decreased in the United States, dramatically decreased in the United States. If you look, for example, at the hospital census and the number of people who are dying. Deaths as a percentage of COVID hospitalizations from five to 12 days ago, excluding Florida. There's a good chart that I've seen on this. 
This chart shows that the deaths as a percentage of COVID hospitalizations from five to 12 days ago, which is usually the period, right? Get hospitalized, and then if you're going to die, you're dead within five to 12 days in the hospital after you've gone on an ICU bed and on a ventilator or something. The deaths as a percentage of COVID hospitalizations from five to 12 days ago in early April, deaths as a percentage were pretty high, like really pretty high, like up to something like 15%, something like 15%. Uh, now, or at least at least well above, but somewhere, I'm sorry, is somewhere between five and 10% was, was where it was. Now, the percentage is close to zero. It's very, very, like the vast, vast, vast majority of people who are going into hospitals are not dying from this thing. And that is because large number of reduced severity hospitalizations, people are coming in, they have COVID, having a little bit of trouble breathing, but they're probably going to be okay. And we're putting them in the hospital just out of an abundance of caution. Patients are much more willing to seek treatment now because it was a while back that if you were going to get COVID, you just weren't going into the hospital because you were afraid that they were then going to put you in a vent and then you were going to never see your family again. So people were just staying home and then healing up at home. And fewer hospitalizations are becoming deaths than ever. So again, we're, we're waiting. Maybe the wave is going to come. But if you look at the chart from several months ago, as far as tests and hospitalizations and deaths, what you see is that the hospitalizations go like this. About two weeks later, the deaths go like that, right? They really, they really parallel each other very strongly. Right now, what you're seeing in hospitalizations is this, right? It's rising and deaths are going like that. Deaths are tailing off. So the two have completely uncoupled. Maybe they start coupling again, but not clear that that is the case. Miami-Dade's mayor says that actually, you know, you guys keep talking about the number of positive cases. He says, listen, the, the state's COVID count might be underestimated by a factor of 10. Right? So it is quite possible that we have 10 times the number of people with coronavirus out there in the state, which is both good news and bad news, right? It means the spread is basically uncontrolled. It also means that the deaths have not risen. So that should be something that, that's actually worthy of celebrating. And this is, by the way, what's happened in Sweden. There's been an uptick in number of tests and a real downtick in the number of deaths. The same thing is happening in Israel, where there's been an uptick in the number of tests and the deaths are basically stagnant. So in, in a normal world, the media would be trumpeting this as some cautious optimism, right? They'd be saying like, you should still be careful out there, wear a mask when you're out and about. But the fact that you're getting this thing means you're not dying. That's a very good piece of news, right? Instead, we are seeing people getting more alarmist about this thing when it seems like the virus is becoming less deadly, at least as a matter of treatment, and at least as a percentage of tests that are coming back positive. Here is uh, the mayor of Miami pointing out that the number of cases might be way higher than we even know at this point. We did a, a medical study here in Miami-Dade two months ago that we knew over 200,000 people had already tested positive. If we took the, uh, the positive uh, rate uh, that... Uh, if, we, if we put that out, 200,000 people have, would test positive to the antibodies. So the official number that you see, especially in Miami-Dade, we have about 40,000. We know it's way undercounted. It's probably by a factor of 10. Uh, and I, I expect the same thing in, in the state of Florida. So the more testing you do, the more people you're going to find that have it. Okay, so again, at this point, I, I would think that the, the rule should actually be cautious optimism, not this extraordinary pessimism that's being pushed. It's also being pushed about the schools, right? There's this idea that if you open the schools, everyone's going to die. It's crazy. How can you open the schools? I mean, the American Academy of Pediatrics said you should basically open the schools at this point. My kids are not dying from this thing. The death rates for young children is lower for this than it is for the flu. And yet Florida is being batted about the ears because the Florida Education Commission required all Florida school districts to reopen campuses in August. Hey, Ron DeSantis points this out and he's being ripped for it, right? He said the death rate for young people is near zero. But this means he doesn't care enough. So this has, once again, become our stupid, normal American conversation about how much you care. Right? Not about the data, not about the facts, how much you care. Ron DeSantis points out the death rate is close to zero for young people, and, um, and he gets ripped for it, obviously.
clearly we, we viewed it as serious from the beginning in January when we were monitoring it. Uh, but at the same time, when you hear news about cases, I just think that should be put in the proper context and perspective that the number one age for cases in Florida is 21. And if you're 21 and you don't have significant comorbidities, your, your fatality rate is pretty much zero. Uh, Correct. That. Correct. Which is one of the reasons why they're trying to reopen the schools. But apparently we got to keep the schools closed. If in two weeks there's not a significant uptick in death, then it is perfectly obvious this was not cautioned by the media. This was just an attempt to panic. Right? And I'm, I'm willing to wait it out, but I'm not willing to wait it out forever. And I'm going to take exactly the same perspective on this that I took at the very beginning when I suggested that let's let the lockdowns work. Okay, you want to say that, that the death is inevitably going to come? Maybe it is, but inevitably better have an end date. Because inevitable doesn't mean 10 years from now, and it doesn't mean six months from now. It doesn't even mean a month from now. The, the spike began at the beginning of June. We are now in early July. So if the death spike doesn't happen soon, you're going to have to start questioning some of the experts about why it is that the virus seems to either have gotten milder or is killing fewer people overall. Alrighty, we are going to be back tomorrow with a lot more content. You should go subscribe over at dailywire.com. While you're at it, go pick up a copy of my new book, A Little Bit Early, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. Otherwise, we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, the Michael Knowles Show, and the Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, assistant director Pavel Wydowski, technical producer Austin Stevens, playback and media operated by Nick Sheehan, associate producer Katie Swinnerton, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Colin Kaepernick milks more money out of fake oppression. BLM ignores Black Lives Lost and Harvard charges $50,000 a year for correspondence courses. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.